sporting discussion. As the name suggests, this is a podcast that aims to discuss sports of all sorts. My name is Andrew Donison, and I'm joined by my co-host AJ Miffin. Welcome AJ. Hi Andrew. We are two Melbourne-based sports fans that have experienced mediocre to average local sports careers across a dozen sports, mm. but sports watching is where we excel. The goal of this podcast is not necessarily to provide an update of results and standings in sports that we're interested in, but to provide a platform for serious discussion and analysis of Australian and international sport. We may not know everything about everything, but my God, we're going to talk about it. We're interested in all sports, mainstream, niche, male, female, televised or neglected. If it's sports related, we will discuss it. So if you want to have a quality sport in discussion, this is where to come. How we'll go about this podcast is simple. We'll quickly review the week that was, look at a range of issues from a number of sports before we delve into our issue of the week for the main discussion. We'll then finish up with a look ahead at the coming weekend. As we all know, a discussion is two ways, us here in the studio and all of you listeners out there. So we want to get you guys to get involved. We encourage you to contact us via Twitter at ASD underscore podcast or through Facebook, www.facebook.com slash a sporting discussion with any of your sporting observations. If you'd like to suggest an issue of the week for us to delve into, include the hashtag ASD issues. The issue of the week that we'll be discussing later on in this podcast is the A-League in trouble or under attack. We're aiming to record the podcast on Tuesday nights and release it on Thursday afternoon. So make sure you get your issues to us by middays on Tuesdays. Coming in at between 30 and 45 minutes, we hope that we can provide you with something informative for your Thursday Arvo or Friday morning commute. As we mentioned at the top of the podcast, one of the things that we will be discussing is what did we like about this weekend? We're going to give you five highlights each, imaginatively called our high five. I'm going to kick things off with, firstly, these are in no particular order, but Nick Kyrgios winning his first ATP title, and he beat Thomas Burdick, Richard Gasquet, and then Marin Cilic in the final, didn't lose a set in the tournament, and did not have his serve broken all tournament. It's a record, I think. It's certainly a record for Nick Kyrgios. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll check with our stats people as to whether it's an all-time record, but it's, it's impressive for someone who has been much maligned for their laid-back, devil-may-care attitude. Uh, just young kids being misunderstood, I think. Oh, I'm 100% with you. I like Kyrgios. I love his interaction on social media as yeah. well. If people get a chance to follow him on Twitter, you'll see a few good little burns that he gives out to some douchebags that try to bring him down. Uh, number two is Australian female cricket captain Meg Lanning just racking up her seventh one-day international hundred in only her 44th ODI. That puts her fourth on the most ODI centuries behind Charlotte Edwards and Claire Taylor from England and former Australian captain Karen Rolton. And Meg Lanning isn't yet 24, so <laughs> she should finish her career with significantly more centuries than any other woman. It's just, it's incredible to watch her, her bat. She dominated the the Melbourne Stars batting in the Big Bash. Her, what did you get? 114 off 113 balls. Elise Perry got 64 off 85, and that backed up Jess Johnson's 5 for 50, which set up Australia's win in game two of the three ODI series by eight wickets. 
drew the series level and as we go to print here, because that's what you do on a podcast, the third ODI will be played tomorrow. We're going through a real strong patch in women's cricket in Australia at the moment, aren't we? We <coughs> It had been up and down and mainly up, but mm. on the way down, but this mob looked like they can take it a long way. Yeah, the the Ashes, the women's Ashes over in the UK middle of last year was a really positive step. You had Elise Perry dominating against the some of the best batters in the world. And that just rolled through to the WBBL where it wasn't just the Australian players. You had uh, Dano Vanekirk from the from South Africa. You had Sarah Taylor come out. You had Charlotte Edwards come out. There was just a, a wonderful array of talent and there were actually games televised back to South Africa and England because oh, wow. of the players that were that were in. <clears throat> I didn't know that. Mm. Oh. <laughs> My third high five is set plays from set pieces in soccer. I love <laughs> them. I'm not a huge football fan. Nah, sorry, I've got to stop you. I'll call it football. You can call it soccer. I was going to say that so that you will... <laughs> When, when you hear it called soccer, that is uh, myself, Andrew, talking. And when you hear it called football, that will be AJ. Lionel Messi had a penalty. And instead of taking the penalty, he just did a little kick to the side. And another bloke ran around and popped it into the back of the net. And then Cheltenham Town in the 5th Division English Football League. From a free kick, they had five blokes lined up to take it. It was directly in front. The wall was in, in between, obviously, them and the goal. The first three guys ran up and then jumped over and ran past the ball. The fourth guy ran up, obviously intending to bamboozle everyone and just curl <laughs> it into the corner, and he put it into the car park. <laughs> it was glorious. It's a sight to behold if you can find it on YouTube or your video provider. Just the, the, the confidence that they had to try it. <laughs> That's that's where I that's what I like about that. Yeah, confidence. Yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> this one is a, a preemptive one because the test match is still running. But a young Australian fast bowler or any Australian fast bowler getting through a test match with no injury. James, Fingers crossed. Yes, yes. James Pattinson picking up a few wickets in the the second innings as well, looking really good. So hopefully, he will not succumb to a back injury like. Basically everyone else. Although Mitch Stark, he likes an ankle rather than a back. Which he is does nice. a good ankle, Mitch Stark, yeah. My last one is the announcement earlier this week that Eleni Guftus will become the first female field umpire to officiate an AFL match. So she'll be umpiring Carlton versus Essendon out at Princes Park on Sunday. Eleni started umpiring about, I think it was eight years ago, in 2008, in the SANFL, under-16s, under-18s, reserves, and then worked her way up to the seniors. She's moved to Melbourne, is on the umpire's rookie list, so she can't actually be, she won't umpire a game this year being on the rookie list, but she will be an emergency umpire, so if someone pings a hammy, then she'll get a, she might get a run in a, a regular season game, but... I think that's a brilliant, a brilliant step. And I saw an interview with her before. She's a teacher at St Bernard's in Essendon, so I don't think she has any issues in wrangling the uh, the gentleman. <laughs> that's a big football school too. Massive football school. That's my high five <laughs> for the week just gone. AJ, talk me through yours. What did you like this week? Again, in no particular order, and that's a good segue from your number five. Um, the AFL, who are obviously keen to get a women's league going and 
get get more women interested in actually playing the sport aside from watching it. Um, uh, looking at putting together a professional league, and this year in 2016, they're talking about having 10 exhibition games featuring, I think it's the Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs and a number of academy uh, and state league rep teams from around the country. Um, good that they got on board, actually, because the W League and the WNBL and all of those leagues have been around for a very long time, and you can see the interest is there, so it's good to see the AFL starting to take the step. It's a pretty big step compared to what's been happening historically. It's not a one-off uh, exhibition show for everyone to just look at. It's a proper, defined professional league. Yeah, and the Mel- Melbourne Western <coughs> Bulldogs have got to be commended for what they've done over the past two or three seasons. They've they've had a one or two games uh, each of the past couple of years, and Channel 7... I think one of the broadcasters put in the, the, the Bulldogs versus Melbourne game on last year, really bought a, a heap of exposure yeah. to the game and showed people that the skills the skill level is actually pretty good. Yeah, there are really strong leagues in um, Victoria, South Australia and in the ACT. ACT, yeah. Yeah, never mind they've got to play the games at 8.30 in the morning. The talent levels out there was is a lot higher than some of the guys who are playing later that afternoon. Yes. <laughs> Speaking from experience, we did try to get one of the one of the females from East Lake Footy Club to play in our fourth grade team because well she could run, bounce and kick the ball from fifty and no one else on our team could. So <laughs> unfortunately she uh said no, she preferred just to sit down with a sausage roll and uh, and watch, but that was alright. <laughs> alright, I'm gonna move to number two and just a quick flashback to your what you did on the weekend, which was watching pre-season football. Mm. One of the things I love about pre-season football, whatever code it is, NFL, AFL, NRL, netball, it doesn't matter. People watch their team play their first game and they're just so full of energy and excitement about what's coming and they ring their local radio station and say, did you see this and did you see that? All week here in Melbourne... uh, We've been listening to people ringing up Talkback Radio talking about how exciting it is that Carlton are getting ready and how great they were against Hawthorne in the first pre-season match of the year. And I had a look at the score because I was thinking, well, geez, they must have done really well. They kicked four goals. Four. It's the, I, it just makes me laugh. when uh, <laughs> I, I saw <laughs> some NRL trials as well where teams you wouldn't expect to win uh, in a regular season game, got up because they're trying new, co- the better teams, let's call them, are trying new combinations or they haven't had enough training because they were playing finals and they're not allowed to start until late in the year. But I'll never be, I'll never sledge someone for getting overly excited at their team's pre-season form. But I think what always sticks out to me is I think Paul Ruse in his entire coaching career at the Sydney Swans won one pre-season game, maybe two. He deliberately lost a couple as well. Yeah, there was that he didn't game. Want to travel. Yeah, I think it was the game against. It may well have been against Hawthorne, where the Swans were ahead by less than a goal, and he took players off the ground. And I believe they may have actually played with seventeen towards the end because he just didn't want to win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, we'll get a bit more into the preseason attitudes a little bit later on, uh, and I will move on to my number three, which was A League Melbourne City. And their win over the Central Coast Mariners, which I did watch. Uh, true to form, they went down 1-0 and then they came back to win 4-1 uh, with a really, really bad combination of injuries for the Mariners defender Storm Rue, who 
broke a leg and dislocated his shoulder all at the same time. I knew, I saw that he had busted his leg, and he was the one that was sucking on the, the green whistle. The green whistle, the pethidine. Yeah, he did not look happy. No, broke his leg, dislocated his shoulder, trying to break his fall. But, jeez, it's one of the bad ones. It was one of the worst, you know, uh, one of the worst injuries I've seen in a long time. And didn't that, was, that was uh, <clears throat> a piece of play that resulted in a penalty, didn't it? Was it he who was doing the... Aggressing, I think. Yeah, he was the aggressor. Yeah, um, but it just it went horribly, <laughs> it went horribly wrong. Oh dear. Yeah, get well soon, Storm. Mm-hmm. But the, so the Melbourne City, they love attacking and hate defending. Is that going to come back to bite them on the ass in the finals? I don't think it's a stretch to say they are flimsy of mind when it comes to the defending side mm-hmm. of things. Um, uh, and that even goes back to the old Melbourne Heart days. Um, they. I guess need to pay more attention if they want to end up around the higher parts of the ladder. But part of my top five is that they look like they're finally getting it together. Mm. All right. My number four, I'm going to turn to boxing. And during this week, uh, Floyd Mayweather, who is recently retired, was uh, talking sass, I guess. is the, <laughs> the official term. Bad-mouthing of all the people to bad-mouth. He badmouthed Gennady Golovkin, who I believe is 38 and 0 with, I think it's 31 knockouts. We'll have to go to our stats producer to confirm that. Um, saying that he'd be an easy fight for Mayweather. Um, I don't know what to say about that. Gennady Golovkin is a knockout machine who is, uh, he's like a legit version of Dolph Lundgren in Rocky IV. Uh, <laughs> I've not seen the man, but you... <laughs> he cannot be stopped. You, you cannot you, be stopped. You, pay, you, you don't have to say much more <laughs> yeah. than uh, an actual real-life version of Dolph Lundgren. It's yeah. Like, it's fair enough. He's an incredible fighter, Triple G. And um, I was just thinking, are these, is it easy shots from the retirement village from Floyd, or is he trying to set up a fight? He's a long-term marketer, I guess. He sees, he sees the uh, value in a fight a long way off, and he'll work it for a long time. Uh, like he did with Manny Pacquiao, which was six years in the making. Uh, whether that was a long game or whether that was him waiting for Pacquiao to decline is a discussion for another time. However, I'm just getting word from the the back of the studio. I'm just going to go with GGG because I'll, I'll <laughs> let you uh, give his real name. But 34 fights, 34, 34 wins, 31 by KO. All right, 50% so right. The Kazakhstan-born Gennady? Gennady. Gennady. Gennady Gennadyevich Golovkin. Yeah, he's an incredible fighter. He mopped the floor with Daniel Gill uh, a couple of years ago. He Essentially, he mops the floor with whoever stands in front of him. He he's looks so fighter. sweet. Go to he his does. Wikipedia page. He looks like he'd be serving you a coffee in your uh, favourite cafe. He looks like he'd be, if you pop a beret on him uh, and a baguette, <laughs> he'll be riding a bicycle down a, a Parisian laneway. <laughs> He's an amazing fighter. And there's also the small issue of making weight. Um, they need to come together at an agreeable weight. Floyd can't go up uh, as far as he needs to. Uh, Triple G has no reason to come down as far as he needs to. Um I find in those situations, money makes it a lot easier to uh, to be able to get to what you need. So, what's the likelihood, do you think, of the fight actually eventuating, regardless of you know weight divisions? Well, Mayweather's been retired for a few months now, um, but he's always in shape. 
Yep. Um, he's always in shape. He's an incredible fighter. Um, long odds. Long odds. He's likely to fight Manny Pacquiao again. Oh, of course. And that would be interesting in itself because Pacquiao's shoulder, I think he had a torn rotator cuff during their fight. Um, Yeah, has he been sued by the promoters? Is that right? For the previous fight because he had that rotator cuff injury and he didn't disclose it? Yeah, he asked the doctors for a painkilling injection the day before the fight, but they hadn't lodged the necessary paperwork. And I think... There was a, he was sued, but I'm not sure what happened out of all of that. Yeah. Very good. Anyway, I will move on to number five, which is the World Club Challenge in the Rugby League, which just happened this week over in the UK. Um, people with long memories can remember back to the old Super League days of NRL, where in the middle of the season they had a uh, an Australia versus UK mini tournament, so to speak, a World Club Challenge, and the Australian teams were running up almost scores of 100 <laughs> against uh, British teams who were just hapless, and it wasn't that much different uh, here. The Sydney Roosters, uh, the Brisbane Broncos, and the North Queensland Cowboys, the reigning premiers, all absolutely flogged their British count- uh, counterparts, I guess we'd call them, um, especially the Cowboys. Once they got themselves together, um, they put on a real clinic. Um, it's... It's always interesting watching the World Club Challenge because it's usually out of season for Australia and in season for the UK. And But you can tell with the NRL season about to start in one week's time, uh, the Australian teams are almost, you know, they're at peak fitness. Um, this is the, These are their first proper hit-outs and they're just working, working themselves into the regular season proper, whereas the UK teams are... In the, uh, in the first third of the season and uh, going from there. What's the point of the World Club Championship? It's an unofficial Champions. world championship, I guess you could call it. Oh, okay. Uh, club club world championship. It's been going since the 80s. Yeah. Um, I can remember watching uh, Des Hasler's Manly take on Wigan way back in the day with Martin yeah. Fire and all of those guys. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's... <sighs> so is, is it now just a legacy tournament? It doesn't have much sway in the in the international game, but they play it, and it's 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 got some sort of gravitas to the name, so that people just continue to play. Well, there was a well, there was a period of time where they were thinking about getting rid of it because it was proving difficult to organise one way or the other. Should they come here? Should we go there? Because mm. it always used to be Australian teams go there, mm. um, but it's uh, back on its legs. Over the last few years, it's starting to pick up again. Like, you know, it's it's a glorified exhibition match, yeah. Basically, um, but if they get the timing, if they get the timing right, and be it, you know, just before the start of the Australian season, as you say, like they're they're looking for a good hit out as a, a preseason match. Yeah, good hit out against seasoned opponents, not people who have uh, just been tackling each other for four months. Yeah, yeah. And that was my high five. Excellent. So that's our high fives for the week just gone. We'll now get into the more of the discussion part of the podcast. And we were just talking about the NRL. So, AJ, shall I hand over to you for the NRL? Yes. <laughs> like, like we just said, we spoke about the preseason games and everyone getting excited. We spoke about the World Club Challenge and uh, 
well, people weren't really excited, but they were pleased that their teams won. They're more pleased that none of their players got injured. Yes. James Tamu was knocked out, but that was with a fist, so he'll be fine for the first game. Uh, I've found, watching the NRL over the last few years, it's anyone can beat anyone, uh, really, in any game. But come the end of the year, it's always the same four or five teams at the top of the ladder. You know, the Cowboys, the Broncos, sometimes Manly, sometimes, well, usually Canterbury, um, and the Roosters. And... Uh, one thing that you will also notice if you're a keen NRL follower is how much Channel 9 uh, covet. Is that the word? You want to say favour, don't you? <sighs> I don't like to say favour but because I'm saving that for my next one. Uh, Let's say covet. Yep. All of you, Every Friday night game is a Brisbane Broncos game mm-hmm. on Channel 9. Uh, and then when they were doing the doubleheaders, the next game was usually a Roosters game or a Souths game. Yeah, uh, Souths then seem to have a mortgage on the Thursday night games, um, and the Sunday afternoon games were Roosters and you know the Eels or the Bulldogs or anyone else. I and know I understand they need to cater to the Sydney market, but uh, it's national rugby league, and they're the three marquee time slots, aren't they? The Thursday night, the Friday night, and the, the Sunday Arvo. Sunday Arvo. They only just started showing those games live uh, last year. Okay. Um, they used to be shown on delay in the Sydney so that they could run into the news. Right. Um, but they were live everywhere else around the country on the one of the multi-channels. Mm. Um, yeah, the prime real estate is given to those teams, whether or not they're any good. Um, and the effect that has on teams like the Newcastle Knights, Penrith, Panthers, um, Gold Coast Titans even, uh, is it costs them a lot of money in sponsorship. Uh, and if you don't have the sponsorship, you can't have a third-party... Uh, uh, friend yeah, to, to help top, to top up, up a salary, to help top up a salary uh, of a good player that you want to bring in. Um, so they keep, I won't even say the best clubs, they'll keep the popular clubs yep. bubbling along up the top and everyone else fends for themselves. Um, moving on to the next one, it's not just Channel 9 that blatantly favours these teams, it's the league. The oh. league. Yeah, I said it. Controversial. <sighs> Whether that'll change in the coming years now that... Uh, there's been almost 100% turnover at league headquarters. Who knows? But when you say when you say the league are sort of favouring, what's in what in what context are we talking? Well, I about? won't say in scheduling because Channel Nine tells the league when to schedule the games. Basically, and the games are only scheduled like four to six weeks in advance, aren't they? The the in terms of the time slots. Uh, yes, I think they've changed that this year. I need to talk, talk to our stats man. Good. <laughs> Um, what's bad about it though is that they are willing the NRL is willing to give money to these big clubs to lure a big name player to play for the big club uh, Inglis Burgess uh, mm. they tried to get Falau but they stuffed that up um, to, to Parramatta but they couldn't organise it between themselves um, and, it's, and they don't just do that at the end of the year they do it mid year yeah well that's, that's, we'll get to that right okay good <laughs> Um, but I, I wonder if it's good for the game that they keep these, I won't say big four, but the more popular clubs, yep. they keep them right at the top. And while they are popular clubs, they're not necessarily the best supported. Um, uh, okay. I mean, teams from regional areas, uh, especially the Cowboys, who are only starting now to get a bit more coverage because they're, they've been up there for a little while. 
Um, I don't know, I just find it, I find it, I won't say unfair because then I'm sooking, but uh, there's clubs out there with deeper followings and more fans mm. who deserve to be able to see their team on the live, live tour. Yeah, and I think that's fair enough. I think the, the telecasts or the television rights that we've seen in the past couple of years with the NRL and the AFL, the AFL in particular getting extortionate amounts, it means that the the television channels are going to have a lot more say in when team, teams are playing mm. and they don't necessarily care about you know, supporting St George or supporting Canberra. They, well, there's no necessarily they don't. Yeah, they, they, want, they want ratings mm. because they have, much like the clubs have sponsors that they need to sort of give airtime to. The the Channel 9 has sponsors that they also need to give the airtime to. Mm. So I don't think that's something that's going to necessarily be resolved anytime soon, except if a couple of very, very media savvy and you know, massive, massive testicular uh, <laughs> club presidents come along to some of those smaller clubs mm. and stand up to, to the NRL. Mm. Well, I know the, the deal... Um, that David Smith did with Channel 9 before he left was a lot of money, mm. but he basically handed them the keys and said, you do what you want with our game, and that's not the way to run a popsicle stand. No, no. And I think the, the this whole sort of, you know, palming it off to the, to the networks, making it more of a, you know, like a Mickey Mouse competition in that the league headquarters don't have much say over how things run. It seems as though the players are also taking up that man on, as I was saying before about, you know, a player at the start of a season, like even before a season has started actually, has signed a contract to go and play for a different club in 2017. I think there's something like 15 players. No, it's 25. It's 25 players who are playing for 18 this year but they already have a contract signed and they will play for a different team next year. Mm. And I think only one of them is having their coach say, right, well, you're not going to play in the seniors. Well, funny you should say that because today they released him. Joseph Tapline, I think you're talking about. That's the the Knights. Yep. He was in a a fight with the Knights about whether they'd let him go or whether they'd keep him for the year but make him play New South Wales Cup. And it was just announced today that he would be released to go and play for the Raiders. But you're right. I think 25 players have moved clubs most of them, again, we'll need to check the stats, have been released early. Oh, okay. Um, and there's a um, there's a few that are playing through a contract this year before moving, but it seems to be the way it's trending in the NRL is that you'll sign with your other team before the deadline, yep. round 13, um, and then you will either move right away and it's trending towards moving right away. See, that makes sense, but I just don't understand, and it's happened a lot in the past, it may not be as prevalent from now, is the player who signs for a new club in round 13, continues to play for their current club, and you could come up against a ridiculous situation where his current club is not going to make the finals, the new club needs to win against his current team to make the finals, he's streaming downfield on a you know 60 metre uh, like try, he's, he's, he's not going to get court and all that's going through his mind is I want my new mates to like me but I want my old mates <laughs> to like me so does he fumble the ball does he score the try and cost his new team money finals uh, I, I think there's just it, it doesn't sit right with me but that's coming from an AFL perspective where there is the 
a draft and salary cap which had been in place since the late 80s, which you know, that, that's my sort of reference point. Well, I think where the Aussie sporting mindset overall, I'll say, is stuck in the, I think we've moved out of the 50s into the 60s, where everyone's expected to stay at the club they signed for, and if they go anywhere else, it's outrageous. And uh, I think Australian, <clears throat> sorry, Australian sports fans really struggle with player movement. Yeah, um, they, Gary Ablett yeah. was the the, mo- the the best managed player movement in mm. recent times in the AFL. Anyone else who's moved, it's just been, you know, daggers through the heart, yeah. whereas Geelong... Or oh, if you were a Geelong fan, you didn't like that because the AFL basically took him off your roster. <laughs> that's true, <laughs> and, and I guess that's a, that's a separate point. But <laughs> in terms of the actual separation... Mm. There was no animosity towards towards Gary, and it might have been because of the circumstances around it, with the mm. AFL kicking in. Well, it's a, it, let's say there's a sliding scale. People didn't mind that because Gary Ablett, they were upfront about how much money he was getting. Everyone knew where he was going. There was only one. There wasn't a whole bunch of different uh, people courting him. Yep. There was Geelong putting in an arbitrary bid because they knew he would go. Um, and that was all out in front and everyone knew at the very, very top of the league, that's that's understandable. But yep. when you get down into the below the elite, let's call it, anyone who's not an elite player, mm. um, there's a real sense of disloyalty or you're yep. a mercenary or something like that if you change clubs. Because yeah. the, the club sees it because they are not that elite player. They're like, oh, we've... Out and it's we. We've put so much time and money mm. into you. I can't believe that you're up and leaving. Mm. Yeah, there is a lot of that in rugby league, and uh, I'll I'll say this: the NRL fraternity is a lot more mature about player movement than a lot of the other yep. uh, sporting leagues in Australia. I'm not counting A League in that because player movement is yeah. part of the nature of football. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think one thing that uh, I quite like about the the NRL is the use of the traditional grounds, like the mm. suburban grounds. So, you know, you've got Oki Jubilee, uh, you've got, what's the other one they go to? Brookvale. Brookvale. Um, used to have Redfern, but now, uh, no. So, you've got these, you know, heartland clubs. Even, even Bruce Stadium, I would say, is it? Heartland Grand. It is, but that's more because of a lack of investment that it looks like a quaint, <laughs> smaller ground. But, you know, it's a, yeah, Oki Jubilee, it's, a, it's this beautiful throwback to you know, the, the 80s and the 70s. So if the AFL, I'd love it if they, if they developed Prince's Park into a 25,000-seat stadium, mm. but they, just, they, won't, they won't do it. No. Uh, and the NRL, they don't care not so much about crowds because they get it, it's very much a, a made for TV game. And so, you know, they've had low crowds for years and they don't care. Mm. Yeah, well, they don't. Well, the crowds are kind of aside from the TV telecast, aren't they? Yeah, exactly yeah. right. It's interesting uh, just on the ground sizes because if you followed an English Premier League team, you can just be walking down the street and then bam, all of a sudden right in front of you is their home ground. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's relatively innocuous uh, as you go by. Um, uh, again, here we seem to be insisting on massive stadiums that seat sixty to 80,000. And, and put them in a precinct as yeah, well. Let's put them in a precinct. precinct. All right. That, 
I think that just about covers what we were having a run sheet for the NRL. So let's move on and have a talk about some NBL basketball. It's finals time, Andrew. It is finals time, AJ. I can see that you're getting around in your Phoenix Suns t-shirt. Obviously not an NBL team, but you're in the spirit. I love me some Dan Marley. Thunder Dan, yes. This weekend just gone, we've had the first two games of the semi-finals for this year's NBL. And uh, you could call it an upset. I don't call it an upset. Melbourne United getting beaten by New Zealand, the New Zealand breakers. Top of the table, Melbourne United. Top of the table, knocked off uh, straight sets, we can call it. Two nil. Mm. Um, one, one at home and one away. Beaten at home and then beaten away, yes. Yeah, a bit messy. Um, and then but you, just but you, today... You don't, you don't think that that was a, a surprise? No, I don't. And that comes down to finals experience, really. Uh, Melbourne United last year uh, finished well out of the uh, business. Yeah. <laughs> and while they had players like Hakeem Warwick, um, who'd come in and was really giving an impact... Um, Finals experience is what it all comes down to. The Breakers are the reigning champs. They've been in the finals for uh, semis and the finals for uh, many, many times. They know exactly what to do and they know they expected the pressure and they deal, dealt with it better. Yeah. Um, their star guard, Chris Goulding. Superstar. Superstar. He's, well, he's one of the genuine superstars of the NBL, I guess. He's yeah. um, signed a contract for the rest of the season with Torino over in Italy in the uh, basket Serie A which is the first division over there. Um, it'll be interesting to see if he comes home. Yeah, so is that not a... Their, their season's already like sort of underway, isn't it? So he'll yeah. be going over halfway through. Halfway through. A lot of uh, players in the NBL and WNBL uh, augment salaries, let's call it, by playing overseas during the uh, during the break. Which I think is fair enough. And, you know, Lauren Jackson has earned a lot more money playing in the WNBA than she ever has playing in Australia. Well, this Cambridge makes a lot more money playing in China than she does playing in the WNBA, but that's a discussion for another time. It is. Let's move on to the other se- final se- semi-finals series, the Illawarra Hawks versus the Perth Wildcats. Game one was in Perth, and Perth, as you would expect, put an absolute flogging on the Hawks, who in the process of being flogged, lost the league MVP, Kevin Lish, with an ankle injury. That hurts. Yes, it didn't look good. It still doesn't look good because game two went back to Illawarra and without Lish, the Hawks mopped the floor with the Wildcats. (laughs) So he's now racing against the clock to get set for game three, which is over in Perth on Friday, I believe, let's call it the 27th of Feb. Um... So Lish will obviously be in the hyperbaric chamber yeah. for basically the, the next three days. Moon boot, hyperbaric chamber. He's had the x-rays, he's had the scans. Yeah. Surely you could just fiddle around with a little arthroscopic surgery or something, couldn't yeah. you? People yeah. recover these days. Easy, just pop a, pop a brace on and he's good to go. <laughs> um, just a milestone for game two, Oscar Foreman from Illawarra played his 450th NBL game, which is an absolutely incredible effort in any sport. That's brilliant. Especially basketball, it's so hard on your ankles and knees. Uh, 
I don't even know how many seasons that is, but that's an <laughs> incredible achievement. Well, it's not like the NBA where you have an 82-game plus playoffs, no. so he has been around for a very, 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 very long time. I wonder who's got the record. Phil Smythe would have to be up there. Phil Smythe, Wayne Carroll, Larry Singstock, Leroy Loggins, all the classics. All the classics. <laughs> Tad Dufelmeyer. <laughs> right, uh, a quick prediction. Perth should win. Game three is in Perth. Um, in front of the rabid... Perth Wildcat fans. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Kevin Lynch is not going to play. You um, heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Ruled out. I just see Perth getting the business done at home in front of their very, very passionate group of West Australians. Mm. And they've been uh, passionate Wildcats fans for basically since the inception of the club. Like every, every club, every NBL club had a a bit of a renaissance in the early 90s. The Channel 10 were really pumping them up and the crowds were good. The crowds have dropped off for every club except Perth. They still get uh, a packed house every night. I'd love to see Perth versus New Zealand in the the final at the, you know, whatever the Perth, the Perth Thunderdome. <laughs> That's right. Perth will have the home home court advantage. Or Illawarra. Or, or Illawarra. We're not counting them out. We're just saying it's going to be very difficult. Uh, yeah, Perth fans, WA fans have always been massive supporters of all of their teams, regardless of the sport. And regardless of the success as yeah. well, which well, is yeah, like a good point. Yeah, well played. Issue of the week. We'll invent a better sting for that too, by the way. (laughs) This week it is the A-League. In trouble or under attack? AJ, lead us off. Oh boy. (laughs) Where do I begin? Do you want to begin with Tom Elliott? Uh, We'll leave him him for later. Uh, where Where do I begin? So-called phantom crowd violence, uh, the horror that are flares being set off at games, um, the general management or performance of the Football Federation of Australia. Um, ratings. The ratings, the attendances. Well, attendances aren't too bad. The uh, financial status of most of the clubs. That's all the bad stuff. <laughs> and is it actually as bad? And I guess that's where the topic in trouble or under attack comes from. Like, is it actually as bad as it sounds? You've got a lot of, let's call them AFL journalists. They may not be necessarily reported on the AFL, but that's that's their bent. Mm. They are, you know, they, they like the cricket in the summer and they like the footy in the winter and they don't like this European game coming over and taking over because they're scared, I don't know what of. Personally, I've been to probably six or seven A-League games. I've loved everyone because of the atmosphere that the crowd creates. The one thing that I don't like, I don't like the flares. I find that that seems to be sort of like appropriating behavior from, you know, from other countries. And it, it's just, to me, it, it's not a good look. I don't think it's required, but I know that you're uh, ambivalent towards the flares and possibly even supportive of. Uh, I can take them or leave them. Yeah. I don't mind them. Um, I don't mind them, but I understand why it's a bad idea to rip one. <laughs> yeah. Having breathed in a fair bit of fumes in my day, I think. <laughs> and plus, like I, I've touched on it before, Australia's uh, sporting mindset, I guess, 
is a long way behind the rest of the world in many, many ways. And the fo- their attitude to football is uh, probably the best indication of this. There, um, there's just so much ignorance displayed proudly um, about football's culture and how the A-League goes about its business. I mean, a few years ago, um, I think it was Buzz Rothfield, but apologies if it wasn't you, Buzz, wrote a story bagging out the Socceroos because they didn't have a shirt sponsor and you're not actually allowed to have a shirt sponsor on your national team's top. Um, Brilliant. That's a fairly, fairly simple thing to find out. There's amazing articles if you, if you let's just say over from the beginning of February, mm. if you read uh, all the A-League articles that were out there, you would think it was a cesspit of violence, uh, flares, rough behaviour, mm. um, in, and intimidating atmospheres, uh, places where you couldn't take children or people who were under 30, um, and it's all just garbage, but it's, it's such an easy target. Yeah, it is. And also, the the response that it gets is so vitriolic as well. Like, you raise an issue, you just go, oh, you know, the, the crowds were, you know, were, were poorly behaved. And because there is this constant barrage of poorly behaved crowds, flares, this issue, this issue, this issue, the, the soccer fraternity are naturally defensive. Mm. And so it becomes quite a, a slanging match between the two sides, which yeah. I don't think I don't, necessarily does anyone any favours. A lot of football fans don't, in this age of social media, don't do themselves a lot of favours with yeah. how they react to stories like that. Say to um, Rebecca Wilson's article, yeah. naming the 182 people who have been banned from A-League games. Now, that was 182 people over 10 years, and I think out of 4 million spectators. Yeah, it, it wasn't... Before I, well, I need to go to the research department for that. Yeah, it wasn't necessarily the the best article, uh, but it was certainly a terrible response from the the soccer side mm. of things. I, I, I quite like the march to the ground, like meet at a venue and march to the ground, as long as, and I think they, a lot of the clubs do do this, they get... They get the police and they get security to shut down roads, and that's fine. That's great because it brings that real sort of like camaraderie to to the sport. But I think that camaraderie is what is being used as some sort of like shield to protect those people from any sort of behaviour. So when they are told, "No, you can't do this," there's this group mentality which is like, "No, we can," or at least that's. That's what is being reported. It may not be true. It could be a couple of rogue elements. Yeah, it's not. It's the reporting's been really bad. It's uh, yeah, and, and, and the I loudest the loudest commentators who seem to say that the A League is in crisis and that football is a game for thugs and foreign nationals who are going to be you know stealing your children and destroying <laughs> your favourite <laughs> AFL game. Um, Nine out of ten of those articles are written about journalists who have no idea of the game's history in this country, yep. um, how big it is around the world, mm. um, the financial opportunities that it provides compared to NRL, AFL and all that, especially for players yeah. who are on a worldwide marketplace rather than a state-by-state marketplace. Um, yeah. You could say, well, all right, I will talk about Tom Elliott. <laughs> <laughs> he wrote an article... 
basically outlining the stereotypical, uh, I will say, AFL view yep. of soccer, as he calls it, um, and saying that, you know, the old boring, dry arguments of, oh, they don't score enough goals, oh, the crowd acts up because it's so boring, oh, this, that, and the other, and so many of the games are nil-all draws, who wants a nil-all draw, why don't they get rid of goalkeepers, or why don't they make oh. the goals bigger, or anything like that. Now, to uh, so many other podcasts and magazine articles and all of those things have been dedicated to the low percentage of nil-all draws in the A-League. Um, <laughs> All of that. I mean, it's just it, it's just so stupid, and it's clearly written just for clickbait to aggravate because yeah. a rage click gets the exactly the same uh, money revenue revenue as an interested click. Yeah, and I don't understand the whole must be high scoring to be a good game. Mm. Like, but even even in the that AFL where you know the the Sydney West Coast Grand Finals were slugfests where it was, you know, nine goals to eight and they were seen as the best games of all time. Mm. When And then last year, everyone was going, oh, we need more goals. And, oh, no, there's no, this mm. team's no good. There's too many goals being scored against them. I think <laughs> that the goals is actually a complete false argument. It's the quality of the game. If I, I've been to... I went to... It was last year when... Well, who was the... Who was the import played for? So there was Damien Duff. Oh, David Villa. And David Villa. Yes. Wow. David Villa. incredible. He had such control of the ball. And I, I was... The best player to ever play in Australia <laughs> yeah. for all three or four games. <laughs> yeah, it was incredible. And I think there's a lot... So the... And again, like we'll call it the AFL mentality. and But it's also the Australian sporting mentality. You sit in the crowd, you watch, and when something happens, you jump up and you cheer, and then you sit back down. Sit back down and be quiet. I think that's that's one thing that uh, people who experience a football game in Australia are amazed by, and you see comments about it everywhere. And even Tom Elliott um, this week said he went to a he went to his first ever A League game and realised that um, he was astonished by the crowd's fanaticism, mm. and I'm using that in a good way. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, one thing that also caught his eye was that there was a Chinese businessman uh, speaking at the pre-match for Melbourne Victory, this was. And um, basically, he circled back around to the whole, well, if soccer, if football gets too big in this country, then the AFL is really going to struggle. And that's at the heart of a lot of these articles, particularly where I'll just reference Melbourne uh, writings at the moment. Um I'm not saying soccer, football coming and, you know, the AFL is going to be gone in 10 years or anything like that. It's just there seems to be a mindset that you can't have more than one. Yeah. You must follow one code. I I don't get it. I, I think that the, the A-League has done really well in owning a little bit of the sporting calendar. When, when it was rebranded as the A-League and launched probably almost 10 years ago now, they started in August. Now, I imagine that was a deliberate ploy to try to take some of the, the sporting coverage away from the AFL and the NRL. They realised very quickly that that was not going to happen. Mm. So, kudos to them. They moved and the, the season now starts after the other football leagues mm. have, have finished. And so, they've actually owned... The, this part of mm. the, the calendar and it's forced the AFL 
to do things like extend trade week from one week to two weeks to one month because what they want is they want to make sure that they have a story on the back page every day mm. because they don't want the A-League there. And they'll have a willing uh, publisher. Oh, of course they will. Yes. But why, why is there this thought that AFL, NRL, rugby league, a rugby union can coexist? Yeah. But this one biggest sport in the world... The biggest sport in the world. ...is not allowed to come and join our little reindeer games. Uh, I just don't get it. Uh, it makes no sense to me. Um, also, cricket as well, I guess. But just touching on cricket, uh, you'll see Boxing Day Test and one day is in 2020s and that where quite a few people are thrown out. Um, they're just larrikins, aren't they? Actually? Larrikins having a good time. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, I think uh, a Melbourne victory versus Sydney FC game a couple of years ago, there was a little bit of a fight out the front of the uh, game. I can't remember the date, but it was in Melbourne, mm. and three people were arrested, and that was written up for three days in the Herald Sun as a soccer riot. Yeah. Um, Australia has no idea what a soccer riot <laughs> looks like. <laughs> no, and you know you see like you see all those stories about people getting belted outside a Friday night game at the MCG. It's mm. not, it's not just the the domain of of soccer. Like, I'm, I'm more scared getting on the train after an AFL match than I am after an A League game. I'll say that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, I've seen I've seen Blues at the at Richmond train station after. AFL, but I've not seen that after after the A League games. Like, granted, as mm. I said, I've been to probably you know, eight or ten games. And uh, uh, for all of the coverage and all of the doomsaying and all of the uh, scaring and all of that, the actual numbers of arrests, evictions, and uh, what else we call it? Let's just call it police activity, justice procedures, justice procedures. Yes, A League games is really really low. Yeah, but if you looked at the amount of policemen that they throw at those games, that is way, way out of proportion with what's going on at the game. Yeah. Yeah, look, I completely agree. I, I have heard an argument that in in the AFL, there is not as much of a large group of people sort of jumping up and down and uh, sort of stopping uh, the constabulary from getting in and grabbing mm. people who are, who are making mischief. Yeah, but they don't do that. But it's uh, yeah. Uh, look, I think that on the on the topic of in trouble or under attack, I think we've uh, AJ is, under AJ certainly is on the under attack. I'm on the under attack side of the ledger as well. Where I think they're in trouble is TV ratings. Mm. Now there is no doubt that the move to SBS two has had a huge it's a impact. It's a disaster. The, the Women's Big Bash League was, at like, kudos to Channel 10 for putting that on, initially on, on one, and then moving it to their main channel. The very first game had 440,000 viewers, mm. which was more than every single A-League game over all channels one weekend. Mm. Now... One entire A-League round was outrated by one Women's Big Bash Big Bash League. Yeah, which, you know, is great for, for the women's Big Bash League, mm. but it, it does not look good for for the A-League. And is that going to be something which is going to impact the, the longevity or the like the 
yeah, of the longevity of the league going forward. Well, they may affect the amount they get for their TV deals, yep. but attendances are up. Yep. Even though with all of the coverage and all of the horrible scenes that are supposedly happening around our league, attendances are up this year uh, to almost, I believe, record levels, which wouldn't be hard because almost every year is a record attendance. Yeah. But um, you're right, the... That one weekend was telling when the WBBL game was on and the Big Bash League itself rates over a million a night, but that's on the main channel. Um, SBS, uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't think they want the A-League, but it was kind of expected that they would have it. Yep. And uh, they put it on SBS too, and it's lucky to rate 50,000 viewers. Yeah, and I think that that's something that the league will look at, but... It might also uh, mean that more clubs do what Melbourne City are doing and look to form a partnership with a Premier League club or mm. uh, an international club and so that they all of a sudden have the money or the funding of the conglomerate mm. but the added benefit of being able to transfer players outside of the official rules. Um, and, you know, so New York City... Manchester City, Melbourne City, mm. they're seen as the one club and so someone can just pop over for a couple of weeks and it's not actually a trade, it's not a, a new player, it's not a new signing, mm. it's just one of, their, one of their blokes. Yeah, well I think the A-League, the admin up at the head office are looking at making sure that that's not banned, more tightly controlled. Yes. Yes. Um, I will, I'll, we've gone around a lot of topics here but I'll finish just with two things. Um, Last year, before the AFL season started, Essendon Football Club put out a call to their supporters because they wanted to create an active supporter area um, where they would chant songs, sing songs about the club, uh, all, you know, wear the same colours, jump up and down, all of that, basically rip off, oh, what's that, I would say, what's the word? Appropriate. Appropriate. Uh, the performances of a soccer fans, let's say. Um, I thought that was interesting. It obviously didn't work out very well for Essendon, mainly because they've already got their cheer squads there who sit there, Essendon, Essendon, and wave flags and pom-poms and those sort of things. But uh, At formally designated times. At formally designated times. Um, and that just struck me as, obviously, people would give anything to have the atmosphere of a, soccer, of a football game mm. um, an A-League game even, or even you know, a South Melbourne game, can, even, have a better at it, can have a better atmosphere than some AFL game. Even a Waverley Wanderers game. Yeah. <laughs> I'd much prefer to go and see them than I would go and see, you know, Carlton versus Frio at yeah. the MCG in front of 4,000 people. Yeah. Now, one other interesting thing, and then I'll finish it off. No, no, keep going. Last year, the AFL... We keep talking AFL, but it's... This, this is why. <laughs> yeah, look, it's a, it's a reference point. AFL teams were allowed to put together their own pre-match and half-time entertainment mm -hmm. um, at, the, at their home games. And uh, one of the, it was, I was at the Geelong Hawthorne game um, where Hawthorne were the home team and their pre-match entertainment was a big sponsors banner surrounded by four flares that were all ripped at once. Um, That's right. And I think they did that every every home game or for a number of home games? They, I think they did it for the first couple and then maybe realised that it was a bit stupid because <laughs> they were essentially also letting off 
fireworks at 2pm mm. on a Saturday afternoon, yeah, which is fireworks, ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, I just thought that's, that's interesting. Everyone rants and rages about how how horrible the A-League is and how much of a state it's in and all that. I, I, that couldn't be further from the truth from where I see it. I think that's probably enough on the A-League. I think we're firmly in the under-attack side <laughs> of the of the ledger there. We look forward to, I guess, seeing the the ongoing media battle between the, the A-League or the, the football and non-football, soccer <laughs> and non-soccer journalists. And we also want to hear from you out there what you think about this issue. Is the A-League under attack or is it in trouble? Mm. Hit us up on our social medias. Yeah, just at ASD underscore podcast and just pop in a a comment uh, and either hashtag it in trouble or hashtag under attack. We will reveal the results of that very scientific poll next week. Yep. And if you have an issue of the week that you would like us to, to talk about, just again, hit us up on Twitter at ASD underscore podcast or Facebook, facebook.com slash a sporting discussion. Include the hashtag ASD issues. ASD issues. And we will get on to, to your bugbear. Approaching the end of episode one of a sporting discussion, uh, time to look ahead to the week that is coming. Mm. <laughs> Andrew, what are you looking forward to this week? I'm looking forward to the start of the Super Rugby season. Now, I'm not a huge union fan. I did spend 12 years in Canberra and I built up some sort of knowledge of the game and appreciation of the game, but I like two things about it this year's tournament. They're firstly the inclusion of the Argentinian Los Jaguares, Los Jaguares. And the Japanese Sunwolves. I think that they'll provide uh, you know just a, a different a, just something different to see, a different style of play to the uh, South African, Australian, New Zealand teams. I don't think necessarily that the Sunwolves will do very good, but it'll be good to see them involved. I think the Jaguares will actually be a chance of maybe not topping the South the, the South African uh, One. pool because that's where they're going to be playing. They're going to be playing against the South African teams, but they might be a chance of getting that wild card into the, the finals. But what I'm looking forward to really is the, the Australian teams. I think it's an exciting year for particularly the Waratahs and Brumbies who have been, obviously been successful in the past, but last year they, they were both losing semi-finalists. The... The better than expected performance in the World Cup, I think, will give them some um, a lot of a lot of hope that they can go one better and possibly two better this year. Mm. And a couple of New Zealand retirements, like the Richie, Rebels, Richie McCall gone. Yeah, the, the breakdown will be a lot cleaner. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got one thing I'm looking forward to, and I know that I'm going to get hounded down for it, is the Rebels. I want to see them build up their fan oh, base. Melbourne. Melbourne's seen as a sporting capital, except we're only the sporting capital for things that we uh, have known for 55 or 100 Don't years. Don't get me started on Melbourne as the sporting capital of Australia or the world. That's, oh, my word. We'll get to that. Perhaps we'll... that's for another podcast. But I think oh, the, just the Rebels don't have any relevance in Melbourne at the moment, and I want to see what they do to try and build that up. Well, their crowds aren't shameful. 
No, but it's the same people that go every week. Yeah, that's true. You want to get people who aren't necessarily a rugby supporter to, to go along. And to be fair, I've only been to three Rebels games. Mm. Well, so, uh, I guess the private school networks in Melbourne lean towards Australian rules rather than they do to rugby union. They do have rugby union teams, but... Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, look, Hurricanes are the team to beat this year again, I think, but there's probably five, six genuine contenders, mm. and I'm looking forward to the season kicking off. AJ, what are you looking forward to this week? Uh, two game threes Ooh. this week. Uh, I'm I'm really keen to see uh, the Yellow Royal Hawks and Perth game three. I thought that that's a really seesawing series. Now, I'm not sure whether Perth went to Illawarra just thinking, well, we've got one at home. Should it all go horribly wrong? Um, Illawarra were obviously playing for their lives and they were fantastic. Um, I want to see how Illawarra attacks Perth because Perth, uh, they are non-stop on their home court. They'll keep going and going and going and they'll be right up in their face defensive, defensively. And the crowd as well. Like Illawarra will never have faced a crowd that loud. Yeah, they'll be right into it, the um, Perth locals. Um, that's the first thing I want to see. The second one is game three of the Australian and New Zealand women's cricket one-day series. Um, we spoke about Meg Lanning a bit earlier, coming off another, yet another tonne, the Tendulkar of women's oh, cricket. She's amazing. She'll score over 100 tonnes. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> um, I'm interested to see how that pans out as well. Yeah, I think that the New Zealand uh, radio, like radio New Zealand, are doing a really good job of covering the the women's cricket in mm. Australia. It's still not necessarily as covered as uh, as well as it could steps. be. Yeah. yeah, it is, and I think the WBBL has really shown that there is support for for the women's cricket out there, and mm. there is a lot of skillful cricketers out there. I think. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, we saw. Um, Maisie Gibson and Kristen Beams and Grace Harris really come on in the in the WBBL and you know Beth Mooney who looked as though she was going to take over from Alyssa Healy with the gloves but Alyssa Healy fought back and now Beth Mooney's opening the batting so <laughs> I think that there's just some really good depth in the in the women's game. Mm. Well, I'm looking at that, I want to see how that pans out. Are you going to watch any sport live? Are you going to play cricket this weekend? What are you? I have played two games of cricket this year and done uh, groins in both of them since Christmas. <laughs> so I'm making a comeback again this week for the last game of the season Look because out. finals are after that. And <laughs> I'd prefer to break down before finals than leave the uh, East Melbourne Roosters uh, bowler short. What about break final. down during a final and make a heroic final effort? I'm not sure if you've seen me in recent times. When I break down, I break down good. So no, I won't be watching any live sport, but I will be participating in uh, in that. I'm All looking right. forward to that. How about you? Uh, I'm not doing live sport this weekend oh. in person. Right. I'm going to the movies. You're going to the movies? I'm going to the movies. And to, to, watch, be to, to watch live sport at the movies? Live Live action. Live, okay. <laughs> live recorded action at the movie cinema. Very good. As I've said earlier, I put no stock in pre-season games of any sort. Um, I'll make sure I'm home so I can watch game three of the NBL and find a way to stream or listen to uh, TalkSport NZ for the cricket. But uh, until the real stuff starts next weekend, I have zero interest in what's going on. And until that real stuff does start, we have been 
Andrew Donison and AJ Mithen. Thank you for listening and we will be back next week with episode two of A Sporting Discussion. Thank you.